And number two, again, um, since everything in life has sort of been stretched out, when you are in college, you're not as settled and grounded as it used to be years ago. Mm-hmm. So there, a lot of um, college age people are moving back with their parents right. um, and haven't found jobs yet um, and, and are not really thinking in terms of I'm an adult, I'm settled, mm-hmm. I'm fine on my own. And so, yes, I think that divorce might get put off until you feel your children are settled. This week, we discuss what's called the rise in gray divorce. The Pew Research Center has shared data showing that those over 50, the number of divorces has doubled over the last 30 years. Why? Dr. Karen Sherman joins us to share her thoughts. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm going to keep this short. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. You should know that we have a website, hitchmag.com, with thousands of articles, our complete podcast archive with over 500 episodes, a free weekly newsletter, and more. If you like this podcast, please leave a rating or review to help encourage others to join. And without further ado, enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Steve Cooper, editor-in-chief of HitchedMag.com. I am joined with the original from episode one, Dr. Karen (laughs) Sherman. Hi, Karen. Hi. We go back a long way, Steve. A long way. (laughs) Um, So I actually looked this up. I told you before we recorded this that we have passed the 600 episode mark. What I did Mm -hmm. not tell you was how long ago that was. Do you have a guess? (laughs) Uh, I'm going to say... 10, 15 years ago? 14 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I would also like to point out that we were doing a podcast before it was the hot thing to do. Uh-huh. <laughs> so just saying. Okay. Um, I So uh, thank you all for joining and listening. I want to let you know that Karen is a practicing psychologist in relationship and lifestyle issues for over 30 years, so longer than we've been doing our podcast. Um, she is the author of Mindfulness and the Art of Choice, Transform Your Life. She is the co-author of Marriage Magic, Find It, Keep It, and Make It Last. And you can get this information at her website, drkarensherman.com. Um, okay, Karen, we are going to talk about the rise in the gray divorce trend. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked at some, uh, the Pew Research Center put out some data, and this actually is a couple years old, uh, I, so I will admit that. Uh, I think it went up to, um, nine, uh, I'm sorry, uh, 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, what they found up to 2017, uh, for those over the age of 50, the rate of the the number of divorces had roughly doubled over the last thirty years. Mm-hmm. Can you think of what that driving factor uh, for this trend? Like, what one at least one major major driving factor of that trend might be? To me, I think the most likely trend is that um, someone today who's seventy. Mm-hmm. If we're sitting around a bunch of us, now I'm revealing my age, <laughs> and talking, we'll say, 
we're not 70 the way our grandparents were 70. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't look it. We're not on the brink of dying. I mean, not to say that there aren't people who are 70 that are, you know, are dying, sure. but it's a much younger age at this age than it was many years ago. And so I think that the whole way of thinking and behaving um, and expectations are very different for somebody who are over 50. And they don't think of themselves as, you know, on their last legs. Mm -hmm. And therefore, um, they have much more life to live and and why not live it if they're unhappy? So what you're saying is, at 70, you're, you're no longer staring into the abyss. You see a road ahead of you and therefore let's, let's, let's make sure that it's a happy travels. Okay. Yes. Um, among all adults, 50 and older who divorced in the past year, about a third, 34% had been in a prior marriage for at least 30 years. Um, that number actually surprised me a little. Mm-hmm. The fact that they had been married for at least 30 years and nearly a third of them or over a third of them had divorced. Uh, does that surprise you at all? No. That, that is that high? No, <laughs> no, it does not. Okay. Because, okay, first of all, a lot of people stay in a marriage a long time for the sake of making sure their kids are grown and are, are okay. And then once that is in place, they feel like, okay, now it's my turn. So if I'm not happy, you know, I'm going to leave. Mm-hmm. The second factor is that a lot of those people who are in those marriages for 30 years, it very well could be that it was their second marriage. Mm-hmm. And so we do know that second marriages have more difficulty than first marriages. And so it may be that, you know, they're having more difficulty. And also since they've divorced once, Mm-hmm. They may not be as frightened by the idea of divorcing again. Right. Um, you mentioned, um, well, one of the things that I was thinking about, and, and we've talked about this in the past, is a lot of times couples will divorce after their kids mm-hmm. graduate high school and, mm-hmm. and move out of the house. We we now we know that um, kids more more kids are going to college. Um, Mm -hmm. We also know that college is more of a strain on couples than it once was. Mm -hmm. Do you think that this shift of above 50 might also be? Yes. And and we know that couples are marrying longer or or, or starting marriage at an older age today. So I guess that doesn't really apply to them. But um, do you think that like because kids are going to college later and it's more of a financial strain and all that stuff that they're instead of getting divorced after they leave Uh, graduate high school, they're now waiting until they graduate college? Yes. Yes. I think number one, as you said, the financial strain. And number two, again, um, since everything in life has sort of been stretched out, when you are in college, you're not as settled and grounded as it used to be years ago. Mm -hmm. So there, a lot of um, college age people are moving back with their parents um, and haven't found jobs yet um, and and are not really thinking in terms of I'm an adult, I'm settled, Mm -hmm. I'm fine on my own. And so, yes, I think that divorce might get put off until you feel your children are settled. Right. That's a good point. It's funny. I just finished reading a book that talked about uh, today's college-aged 
individuals uh, mm-hmm. not being as independent as past generations, mm-hmm. uh, to your point. And, um, you know, I don't think we should be passing judgment on that. I think it's awesome to <laughs> wait as long as possible to uh, be an adult because, as you just mentioned, like there's a lot of road ahead. So um, I also think there's something really important about, you know, finding your independence and, and being, becoming self-dependent. Um, and you know, the sooner, the better. Uh, however, I don't judge those who have the opportunity to wait a little bit longer. So, um, I also think it's a good point that you made about the kids then moving back home and how Mm -hmm. awkward that might be if the parents Mm -hmm. split up in that time. Mm -hmm. So, um, so one of the things, and, and we talked about this at the top is that the so people are living longer, which means that um, they look at the road ahead and they think like, oof, I got a lot more to go. I don't know if I want to stay in the situation that much right. longer. Mm-hmm. Do you think this trend will hold in the future, knowing that we now live longer? Couples, um, if you go back 30 years, we're marrying much later than we were 30 years ago. Um, therefore we're more selective with the people that we marry. We know divorce is at like an all time low right now, just in general. Mm-hmm. Do you think this over 50 trend will continue as the next generation hits that age? If I had to look at a crystal ball, my guess would be yes, especially because even though in our country, we're talking about our country, right. um, women are still not treated equally they're still not getting the same amount of pay for the same jobs that they're doing as men. Mm -hmm. However, that being said, I think women are coming more into their own, feeling like they have um, a right to be equal, um, to um, get their own sense of self, not just be dependent on their male counterpart. And so I think not only depend on their male counterpart, but even feel like they must be in a relationship. Mm -hmm. So I do think that the trend will continue. Now, Mm. of course, you know, who knows? And I probably won't be around to see it, but that would be my guess that yes, it would continue. Mm. Okay. Um, I'll throw you another little quick curveball. So we know that divorces spiked when women started entering the workforce and getting mm-hmm. college educations and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you think if there was a policy such as UBI, universal basic income, where where households were essentially almost like the stimulus check that we received, but would it would be like on an ongoing basis? This is something a lot of politicians talk about these days. Mm-hmm. Do you think if families got an ongoing stimulus check like that, a universal basic income, that divorces would, that that would impact the divorce rate? I do. I do. I think that if there was a greater sense of security for women that they could manage on their own, um, that they would be more likely to, um, live on their own and Mm -hmm. make it on their own. Yeah. Um, moving on to the next question. So you brought up that people who have been divorced once have kind of lost the stigma of, mm-hmm. and and the fear of going through that process. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a society, divorce has become a relatively common thing. Um, do you think that la- lack of stigma uh, over the last 30 years has played a factor in this number increasing just in general? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. You know, um, it is something that is so 
unfortunately common now that you don't look askance at people and say, oh, what's the matter? You know, that they couldn't make it work. So I think when it's not looked down upon in the same way, it also makes it easier for people to decide to take that step. Um, the Let me go back to the comment about um, that second marriages don't work as, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from the fact that people who are in second marriages may say, okay, I've done this once. I'm not going to be afraid. I can do it again. We know that in general, second marriages have a rougher go of it because a lot of times, unfortunately, the thinking with the first marriage and the unhappiness is I need to switch my partner. My life can be better. Mm -hmm. And the issues that may have caused some of the conflict in the first marriage haven't really been resolved. So you remarry and you take those same difficulties in communicating, in opening up, in uh, how you manage conflicts into the second marriage. Right. Um, it's almost like somebody who says, you know, I'm just miserable living here. I'm going to move. Well, you're still with yourself when you mm-hmm. move. So whatever problems you had in one area geographically, you're going to have once you move to a new area. And so that's what I'm saying, yeah. that a lot of the reasons second marriages don't do as well as people would like is because they have not really worked on the issues that caused the difficulty in the first marriage. Right. You are always your own common denominator. Yes. And if you are the problem, you are not going to resolve it until you resolve your own issues. Yeah. Correct. Um, so there are um, people listening to this who I hope are are a bit older, above 50. Um, and they've been with their spouse, I'm assuming, a long time, uh, at least some of them. Mm-hmm. And maybe some of them are not very happy with the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're like, oh, crap. This might be us. Mm-hmm. Do the same marriages about getting your the, the same rules about getting your marriage back on track apply uh, if you are older as if you were younger and we were giving out that information, or are they yes. different because you're talking? No, to no, a different no. I think I think that there are still the same issues. The one thing that I'm going to adjust is that probably you've been doing the patterns longer. Mm-hmm. And so it may be a little harder to get back on track. Mm-hmm. So if you can uh, go for help, let's say, but go with the understanding that, you know, we've, we've been off course for a while. And so we can't expect to just, you know, flip it back on right away. I think you're more successful. I'm working with a couple now who um, basically they they're haven't been happy with each other for about 20 years and they're married 26. And, you know, one of the things I keep telling them is they have gotten so much into a groove of the poor way they have for communicating that it's going to take a while to learn a new habit and a Mm -hmm. new way of being. Um, and they have to be patient. And unfortunately, because, and I think this would be true of many couples in their position, because you've been living with it for for so long, the attitude might be, you know, I, I just can't take anymore. I just can't take anymore. Let me, let me get out of this and start anew. Mm-hmm. But again, to my other point, unless you learn 
proper skills or proper ways of dealing with conflict, you're likely bringing that into the new um, relationship as well. Right. Um, but I do think that the very same principles apply whether you're young or you're old, which is having respect for each other, appreciating each other, um, really listening to each other, um, you know, and not necessarily being shut down to an idea that might be different than yours. Mm-hmm. So I think all of those same solid principles apply whether you're married, you know, two years or 32 years right. or 42 years. Okay. Uh, so one of the things that uh, I have two things I would like to add to this point really quick. The first one is one of the things that we know works in relationships and really drives happiness is novelty. Yes. And for me... I'm I'm glad you brought it up because I was going to, yes. So that seems like some very low-hanging fruit when you're talking... So when you're a young couple, um, Mm -hmm. almost everything practically would feel novel because it's all new to you and your Mm -hmm. relationship. When you're old, it seems like Uh, doing... Older. Older, (laughs) thank you, thank you. Older. Um... It seems like it would be the easy thing to do to do something novel to really boost the relationship because almost to your point, almost everything you're doing at that point in time has become ritualized and and routine. So it seems if you want to really give your relationship a boost when you're older, mm-hmm. it would be <laughs> would be to. Um, to boost the novelty factor. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And as I said, I was going to bring that up as well. Um, you know, and it's it, very hard, I think, for people who have been married a long time to not get into ruts mm-hmm. and to think about, you know, oh, I got to make a change. It's just so easier this way. But those little shifts mm-hmm. can really make big differences. Right. Um, the other thing that I was going to, and this is a question for you. So, and, and trying to do something novel, um, when you're older, you are more likely to deal with uh, some health issues that may restrict what you're able to do that you might mm-hmm. have been able to do when you were younger. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you're finding it difficult to do things that you know would make you happy, but you can't do them with your spouse because they are physically not able to do them. Mm-hmm. What what is the solution? That do you do those activities anyway? Um, do you always try to keep your spouse involved? Like what what what's the balance there? In my opinion, in general, it's better to not be joined at the hip, mm-hmm. and to each have your own activities, and to not think as your partner being the one and only who can meet all your needs. So I think it's perfectly fine. If your partner is limited in some way that you seek it out, you know, with a friend. That being said, that doesn't mean that you still can't create novelty with a partner who may have some physical disabilities. You don't have to bungee jump in order (laughs) to create novelty. You can create novelty by going to different restaurants than you normally go to. You know, there's something nice about being a regular at a restaurant. You walk in and the owner, you know, greets you and sends over, you know, a free glass of wine and everything. But it's same old, same old. Mm -hmm. So something as simple as going to a different restaurant or a different type of food can be different. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, watching a different kind of a movie. Um, There are lots of ways to create novelty without it 
requiring some major physical feats. Right. And and I think to the point that you were just making, you don't have to tip your entire world upside down. You don't have to Correct. change everything that you're doing. It can be just one little thing. Right. Um, and, I, and I've probably mentioned this on past podcasts. Uh, one of the things that I, I like to cook and one of the things that I like to do is subscribe to different um, food magazines and try to pick at least one recipe out of one of the magazines to try mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Just to mix it up because, yeah, I, I have my go-to recipes and yeah. every once in a while I want to try something different. Yeah. You know, Steve, it's funny. I do the exact same thing. Generally, once a week I make something I haven't made before. And if we go back to a former podcast and how to get through COVID and the pandemic, you'll remember that I said to you that on Saturday night, Richie and I would go to a different part of the house yes. and watch TV and pretend that we were you know, going out on a date and, and going to a movie. Um, just changing it up can really have a lot of benefit. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, hopefully those listening will think of just, you know, just small things and it makes a really big difference. So hopefully, um, do, do you have something else that you'd like to add? Yes, I do. <laughs> okay. I think that though this may be a very difficult conversation, if you are feeling like something is missing or lacking in the relationship, there's a real good chance that your partner is feeling it also. Now, mm. that being said, a woman is probably more likely to have a pulse on the relationship than a male. Right. And a man may very often take the attitude of, well, you know, she's not complaining, so everything's okay. And we could have a whole other podcast on that. However, going back to my initial point, if there's something that's not sitting right for you, there's a good chance that your partner is feeling it also. Discuss it. Mm-hmm. It's it's a hard thing to bring up, but it doesn't have to be brought up in an attacking way or a blaming way. It could be something like, you know, I've been I've been feeling like a little disquietness as far as our marriage. And I was wondering if you were experiencing it because, you know, if we're both sort of feeling it, we need to have a talk about what we can do to get us more aligned with each other. So you're not bringing it up in an attacking way, but again, um, you know, and if you bring it up softly, it's not going to make your partner feel like, oh my God, they did something terrible and things are, you know, you're out the door and whatever. And I would recommend doing it sooner then to the point where you're so disgusted and just feel like, you know, nothing is worth it anymore that you say the only way I can make things better is to make a change. Right. Right. Now, and this gets back to what you were saying uh, earlier, uh, going back to the basic pillars of good relationships. And that one of them is communication and, yes. and listening, right? Mm-hmm. And I, one of the things that I've brought up many times is you're on the same page or you're on the same team. And um, Correct. You know, when your spouse brings up a concern like that, it's not out of trying to ridicule, hopefully. It's mm-hmm. it's to try to, as you're on the same team, get on the same page. Uh, right. I was getting ahead of myself there. So um, if you think of it that way, then you can have these conversations much easier knowing that not everything is the sky is falling. It's just like, yes. hey, let's, let's make this play a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, all right. Well, this was fantastic. Um I, you know, I want to end this on a high note. So the great news about this is we all agree that people are living longer. So you have a lot more happiness ahead of you guys. Mm-hmm. So if you take anything away from this, it's that. Um, and Karen, thank you so much for your time. It is always a pleasure and look forward to doing this again very soon. And thank you. 
Uh, Before we go, I want to remind you that you have been listening to Dr. Karen Sherman, a practicing psychologist in relationship and lifestyle issues. She is the author of Mindfulness and the Art of Choice, Transform Your Life. She is the co-author of Marriage Magic, Find It, Keep It, and Make It Last. You can get this information at her website, drkarensherman.com. You can also find this information on our website, hitchedmag.com, where we have, as I mentioned at the top, over 600 episodes now available all for free. Uh, we have thousands of articles. We have a free newsletter that goes out each Monday. It takes about 30 seconds to sign up, and it includes a little tidbit about that week's episode, podcast episode. So if you want to stay on top of things and you're not one that like always checks your podcast player, uh, you will get a reminder in your email, and it's, um, yeah, it's a really simple thing to do. So hopefully you check that out. So with that, we are going to wrap it up. Thank you again, Karen, and until next time, take care, everybody. Now we know it's